0: Good morning. This is Jay Westerveld with our weekly show, Tales and Trails, where we talk about world events. We talk about nature a lot, recreation. We're getting a little less into recreation now that winter's over and people kind of find their own ways to recreate. You don't really need my help. And um, for the third installment in a row, uh, my guest is Heather McConnell, uh, author of an American, an uh, an invisible invisible woman, woman. (laughs) sorry. An
1: American, she's American. She Uh, is American, although not all of her cohort is. (laughs) Nope.
0: (laughs) Uh, Nope. And uh, Heather, why don't you... um, I'm really interested to talk to you. Always, what happens, let me just quickly say, at the end of each show, we run out of time to talk about all the things we wanted to discuss. So you're back. <laughs> you know, you're on the hook. How are you?
1: I'm good. I'm good. A busy week and, um, and enjoying the heck out of spring right now, too. Just gorgeous, gorgeous weather. And I was just talking with Taylor uh, about how wonderful it is and how. Um, the flowers just seem
0: spectacular this year and the, and the trees, this is the thing. I was just talking about this yesterday the, the, some of the tree blossoms and we're trying to figure out, is it choke cherries or black cherries everywhere? There are these smaller trees that have the white blossoms. Yes. I've never seen them like that before.
1: I, I just drove through Warwick, through downtown, and I hadn't driven by South Street in a few days, or, and I was just looking at all. I think there were Bartlett Pears. Just gorgeous.
0: Yes, that makes sense. And by the uh, way, uh, anybody listening from Warwick, you can tell Heather's wildcat, she's actually from Warwick, because she calls the village town or downtown, Oh. <laughs> if you're from here, it's town or it's downtown. Uh, if you're, uh, you know, a transplant, it's uh, the, the village, you know. Mm. I'm going to the village, Tommy. Do you need milk? You know. <laughs> but no, if you're from here, why well, it's town. <laughs> it's, so anyway, yeah, the blossoms are amazing. And Taylor and always of notices course, that.
1: Yeah, and uh, Ox uh, just drove by the orchards, you know, pennings. And uh. Oh. <laughs> they're uh, blooming oh yeah oh,
0: i'm gonna drive by oh, oh that you'll see great. it That's just gorgeous just beautiful i um. can't wait you know i was lucky in sugarloaf i grew up our, our our property which was on the hilltop kind of uh across from sugarloaf mountain so we were between uh the main street of sugarloaf and say the village of florida our property right where it butted up onto where our lawn was was an old apple orchard so oh, they, wow. the blooms and the smell every year was wonderful. But then I learned later from my dear friend, Todd Vogel, on the Warwick Conservation Board uh, that your mom founded. He said that whenever they do real estate projects, uh, part of the due diligence is to see if there were, because of Warwick with our great apple culture, to see if there were apple orchards previously because of arsenic in the soil. It used to be used to treat trees.
1: Oh wow! so they do scrapings often of the okay. soil if
0: there was you know here i'm thinking oh it's so wonderful healthy i grew up on an old apple orchard and i'm like, bum 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 <laughs> well
1: there is also naturally occurring arsenic too yes, in some is. places I, I think bangladesh has a big problem with that yeah. in the water so um
0: yeah a lot and of opium places. poppies occur naturally too yes that's <laughs> Doesn't true mean I'm chew on them. <laughs> <laughs> that is
1: true they do Yes. So, um, but anyway, yes. We were just talking about how beautiful it is, and just yeah. really enjoying the spring. And uh, that that brings me to asking you. Uh, <laughs> you know where I'm going with this. Uh, what's what's the update on the frogs? What's going on? Great
0: question. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, uh, for anybody listening who's maybe not on in any of the Facebook nature groups or local thing groups, such as Warwick Wildlife, my favorite. Um, I sort of mentioned that there don't seem to be as many peepers as there should be. The little spring peepers, the tiny chorus frogs around here. We are hearing them a lot more now, probably close to normal That's choruses. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, not totally I, 100%. I, I still but,
1: haven't heard them either, yeah, as much. I've heard them a little bit, but not as much.
0: Same here, honestly. I'm so. not hearing those real um, you know, they, those. Loud. Yeah, those Loud. true choruses where it sounds like one solid sound.
1: Now, could that have anything to do with the temperature going down in the next few days? Because it is going below freezing. Does that affect them?
0: It affects them. However, Heather, they're one of the really first emergent species in the springtime, vernal emergence critters. So they, um that's a technical term, vernal emergence critter. Uh, <laughs> Just, <laughs> Yeah, Vernal as in
1: spring emergence, yes. yes. Critter. <laughs> Critter is a technical term. <laughs> they, uh,
0: so they're one of the first to call as soon. You know, there can be ice on a lot of the marsh and these things will still come out and call. So I don't see it that way. I just I think it's been I, I'd kind of coined a term for it, false start springs. Um false start springtime where you get an early spring that suddenly refreezes and it keeps happening. I think some of them get out, they call, they sort of Maybe some of them actually do mate, and so they have no reason to call anymore, and they move on. And then when the warmer season, where they would normally be calling, like later March, they're they've already finished what they're going to do, or they're just starting now. So they're just spread out more. We don't get the real hard and fast, consistent. Okay, it's springtime now. It's summer. We all know that doesn't happen. Right, we know because
1: the climate. Yeah, Yeah, because it's it's not just warming. It's it's dramatic change I mean yeah. I always it's a terrible metaphor but it, it does fit I always think of uh, the climate as kind of a teapot if you are heating water in a teapot what do you get you get boiling water you get lots of activity and it's disruptive right. and that's what we're doing we're we're disrupting the atmosphere I mean that's a, that, again that's a that's a terrible <laughs> metaphor no, it's, it's a very good but, metaphor, um, it does it does kind of fit what's going on so you dig you get cold you get um, extreme hot but overall the the range is bigger yes Um, but the overall it's moving up it's warming
0: it's not just that it's a greater range heather but it's also it's a greater range in a shorter temporal period a time period yes and that's what you know that then we get the storms
1: yeah Yeah. that's where we're getting the the bigger And the
0: the funky thing because i'm not a big climate alarmist just because it it gets enough love as it is through media and through funding and all but I'd mentioned uh, Dr. Sasha Spector, Warwick native. He used to be the, uh, I think it was the chair of entomology at the museum, American Museum of Natural History in the city. Uh, that's the one part of the museum you don't want to come to life, by the way, is the entomology. It's the yeah. bugs. But thankfully, they're on pins, so they're not going to go far. So he had, I've been to his climate talks, and he points out that many things, especially plants, are more reliant upon photo period, how much longer the the day is each day, from when they bloom and everything. Animals, it's more temperature. So if you have certain animals that have to come out, like certain bees that need those flower buds to be open in March, and they're not open until later, because even though it's warm, the bees are out, but we lose them, we lose populations of things. So again, for the third time that you've been on the show, Mr. Non-Climate Alarmist, me, I'm always sort of like, yeah, climate change, it's there, but big deal. I have to say, uh, based on uh, Sasha Spector's uh, hypothesis, um, it, it does affect it's a lot disruptive. of these things. It's disruptive, yeah. It, I think
1: yeah. You're, we're also seeing that in some other things with the uh, bird migrations, timing. Yeah. Um, that's happening a lot, and uh, there's certain birds that are coming um, staying here longer, and um, oh, yeah. and then leaving, and coming here earlier, and sometimes they come up, and the food, their food isn't ready.
0: You know, they're yeah, it's kind of like a bad party guest. They're like, getting here early, <laughs> the food isn't ready. <laughs> they're not leaving. Like, come on, geese, it's it's winter time. Yeah. Leave already. Yeah, you know, please. I, I have some of my own hypotheses on that that I I just I won't share um, because I don't want to sound uh, <laughs> fringy, but if you look at well, the Canada goose, which is, you know, the, really the primary one, the predominant overstay guest here in the winter. Yes, we have lots of them. But if you look at their flocks, they're also not forming the Vs like they used to. And
1: oh, that's, that's a little very alarming. interesting. I do see the Vs, but I also see them going all different directions. Which right. Is, they hold it for... So a th- they're, they're not going anywhere particularly, or they're maybe not having...
0: making no. They're the kid in the back of the class who's throwing the blocks at the other kids. Okay. That's what we see now with the uh, goose lines. We don't see that nice V formation, that bilaterally symmetric V going across the sky. We see sort of like a check mark that kind of breaks up and goes in different directions. And you know, I, I'm, I'm sort of being silly uh, in my description, but it's actually very real. I haven't read or heard it discussed anywhere.
1: I haven't. Yeah, I haven't.
0: Take a look at the sky I'll, I'll in, the I will. And I will. in the autumn. Absolutely.
1: You'll be looking at that, that is that is strange. Maybe it's because there just there's no definite, oh, it's cold, it's time to go kind of thing. I don't,
0: I don't know because it's, you know, again, this is one of those migrations that's not dependent on temperature with the geese, it can be a lot of things. It and could be. also their formation of those flocks hot or cold you would think that they'd still keep the same formation and something and i'm not going to get into my uh, yeah. zany theories yeah. but something's changing that yeah. and i think after a quick word from uh, the people who make it possible we got to talk about that
1: um
2: Sam's Meat Warehouse is a butcher with old time family values. Remember back in the day when people knew their butcher by name and visiting them was a social experience? They would talk to customers about how to cook a piece of meat to perfection. Sam's combines old world methods with modern techniques. Call your favorite butcher, Sam's, at 845-651-MEAT or visit the store right off 17A in Florida, New York for the highest quality products at unbeatable prices.
0: Hi, this is Mike Sweeten, supervisor of the town of Warwick, with Tony Cardone, supervisor of the town of Monroe, and please join us every Tuesday at 9 a.m. for the roundtable here on WTBQ and WGHD Radio, worth listening to. Hi, this is Walt Baby Love. Start your Sunday with me at 6 a.m. and Gospel Tracks.
1: I'll give you the phone number to the Faith Phone Line and the address to the website. All that and much, much more,
0: right here on Gospel Tracks with yours truly, Walt Baby Love. W-T-B-Q. and we're back with Tales and trails this is jay Westerveld. i i love that last uh promo for that show uh the gospel show that's pretty wild um it, it always gets me going gets my heart pounding so uh during good the music. break yeah yeah good it,
1: music <laughs> it, it is
0: absolutely good music doesn't matter your belief system if you can't get into that uh, we can't talk so you mentioned Heather, um, you had some questions during the break about uh, one of my annual reports I have to do for the new york state d c for one of my licenses, and uh, because there were some notable um, changes in well, frog populations. I'm the frog and turtle guy, of course, and uh, you know the the peepers I mentioned in the report cricket frog populations, and they're the only endangered um uh, Frog in this state, or I mean, the only frog that this state considers to be endangered for a number of reasons. Uh, uh, elsewhere in the country, they're they're very numerous. Um, they, their populations are down across the board, which is you know troubling. Um, it seems like the state, even though they maybe try in many cases, a lot of people there do their best. It's still a bureaucracy, and it's difficult for the boots on the ground biologists and their, bosses to really make things happen from a regulatory standpoint. Often what happens when there's habitat loss, when there's an area where these frogs are known to occur, the biologists will go out in the field. Maybe maybe a real biologist will go out there and take a look. Or what normally happens is the state tells people, license holders, just regular civilians, hey, you know what, we give you a license every year that allows you to do reports and make money. Go do something and just tell us if you see any frogs at this spot. And those guys kind of go out. They're not always the most capasa biologists but in the world. Well, you're getting
1: we're getting some sightings at Warwick Wildlife. A lot of people are yeah. seeing stuff, and you said that they're the, seeing
0: yeah the pickerel frogs. The now pickerel that's one frog. that bothers me. That's a and that's a type of it's very closely related to a leopard frog. I I call the leopard and pickerel frogs together just our spotted frogs. And um, pickerel frogs. A lot of people. And a lot of really uh, credentialed biologists don't realize this. They're actually a good indicator species for clean water.
1: That's what I was going to say. Is yeah. all these? Fro- I mean, all the frogs are indicator species. To well, some. Not
0: bullfrogs. <laughs> yeah,
1: well, okay, food. but uh, yeah, you're, you're but, right. But they can't... that's why they're so important. That's yes. why they are studied um, yes. all over the world. Really. Yes. Um, amphibians are. You know, they are a core species to be studied because they do cross um, between water and and they're very sensitive very well said water uh, and earth yeah. that
0: uh, water and earth crossing you know i've never honestly i've never heard of put that succinctly thank you for saying that they're they also you know they have this really permeable skin uh usually sensitive very to sensitive.
1: chemicals to pesticides yes
0: so pickerel frog numbers uh, seem to be down but again when i look at the facebook groups and what Thank God for the citizen scientists, the lay people who are in those groups who post pictures and say, you know, what kind of snake is this? And at least you get an idea of what's where.
1: Oh, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> it is. And, you know, and that's where we you get really make so, social media can be helpful. Yeah,
0: um, But they're seeing pickles. Did I
1: write that down that you said that? <laughs> no, it, it
0: can't, oh, social media is so helpful on so, yeah. so many levels. But we're, there we're seeing a lot of the pickerel frogs, it seems, people's yards. But myself out in the field, I'm not seeing what I'm accustomed to. I'm not hearing them calling so much. To okay. me, and that's where it's sort of the rubber meets the road with frog populations. Are you hearing them calling or not? Yeah, Because that gives you a really good well, idea. Well, because
1: what, the calling would indicate the mating. Right. Too. Right. Which it, means that they are actually, yeah, active and, yeah, and yeah. the population's healthy. Yes. Too. And that's what we want. We want healthy frog populations. Yes, we
0: do. <laughs> so uh, it helps everything.
1: Yeah. So, and just uh, another side to that, I mean, we do know that a lot of the chemicals, um, pesticides, insecticides, All these, um, you know, herbicides, all these different uh, chemicals do affect uh, the animals and plants. And I was just, I was paging through a catalog uh, just (laughs) the other day and realizing that, you know, they have all these wonderful things to... Oh, here's here's some flowers you can plant to attract bees, and here's a a little house you can build to attract bats, and here's um, another bunch of flowers you can plant to attract birds, and all these different things. And here's all the chemicals you (laughs) have to kill all the insects. And going, there's a little bit of a disconnect here.
0: Yeah, there's a little (laughs) between. It's kind of an ecological loss leader. Like, let's get people to plant these, uh, you know, beautiful. pollinator plants just to get them to buy these chemicals
1: and that well yeah I that okay that that sort of inter, that's interesting <laughs> too that's an interesting way to look at it I just I just find that there's something that's very uh just um I don't know it, it's dysfunctional
0: welcome to it's, greenwashing 101 I was yeah, gonna
1: say yes it. absolutely greenwashing 101 yeah worry about all the plastic but you know get that roundup out there and Absolutely. make sure you spray all the dandelions uh, well you see too.
0: if you're worried about plastics and look i'm all for getting rid of the plastic uh, shopping bags although you know i i have a cat so they're useful when you scoop a litter box but that's about <laughs> it but the you know uh, putting a lot of effort into the plastic bags it, it's good grandstanding in the end it's certainly not a bad thing to get rid of them i think it's good but there are so many it, it, getting rid of plastic bags when we're having these global epidemics of species loss and habitat loss it's sort of like going up to a cancer patient and instead of removing a tumor saying you know you've got a bad zit on your nose let's make sure we take care of that yeah and that's really what they're doing there's a lot of tiny cosmetic measures that are warm and fuzzy feel good measures that a lot of these sustainability groups do so as to avoid getting into a real fight going up against anything with claws i'll tell you something quickly you mentioned chemicals heather and these catalogs that hawk this stuff to homeowners and i mean you watch like a ball game or something then you see the scots uh commercials for the herbicides, you know, yes. kill those dandelions. Like now they make it ha- macho for ha- these couch have potatoes. perfect lawn, yes. Yeah, these couch <laughs> potatoes to go out. Oh, you don't want your neighbors to think, you know, you have low, <laughs> low testosterone, or we'll have to sell you this product. But here's a terrible thing. I talked earlier about the New York State Department of Environmental Conservation, the DEC, and uh, you know, I used to work for them. I used to do contract work for them as well. I'm still licensed by them for a lot of research. So every year they have to list online environmental bulletins for where there have been uh, permits applied for for certain things. Well, there are environmental groups in um, nearby, uh, what's the county right here, Bergen County, Bergen. That and in uh, Rockland and Orange County, New York, that are trying to fight quote unquote invasive species. Always right. a big thorn to <laughs> yes. my side. Well, the big I invasive they fight on these sensitive wetland estuary islands of um, like Iona Island, the Iona Marsh, okay. uh, just below Bear Mountain. Big, beautiful, oh, okay. sensitive marsh, okay. has a lot of interesting species, interesting frogs. These guys annually apply over, don't quote me on the acreage, it's big acreage. Uh, they apply for a permit for glyphosate, Roundup, and oh. they soak the entire marsh in it to fight an invasive plant. I was at a talk, I used to do the- Which plant b- is it? Uh, Phragmites, the uh, Eurasian common reed. Oh, okay. Now, we have a North American version right. that's uh, and what is And visually... it's
1: It's Phragmites, the Phragmites is, I know it's very tall and it's yes. kind of got the fringy- not yes. not like a cattail, but the fringy. Okay, so you exactly. see them. Well you, said. Yeah, you see them all all around. I mean, yeah, when you, you think of the
0: Jersey Meadowland, it's that tall, waving uh, okay. plant that you yeah. see.
1: So you're not going to get rid of it. <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> just so
0: that, and this is what happens. Well, we're not going to get rid of it, but let's kill everything else. And what they forget is that most of these herbicides work as endocrine disruptors. What they do is they make it impossible. they Make it impossible for the plants to metabolize chlorophyll so it causes what they call blonding. Green right, because Roundup
1: turn- is basically based on Agent Orange, right? Well, it or is. That it's was, it's, it's yeah. Agent Orange, which was used oh, close. in... Close.
0: I'm trying to remember. what. Vietnam in the yeah, for Vietnam. Depoliation, right so that right. they could see the yeah. uh, the enemy.
1: Actually there was just so you know there was some really good news apparently recently about about Vietnam and agent orange because they lost so much of their foliage yes. especially in the delta but apparently it's coming back
2: yeah, much time, faster. You would not expect that. Yeah, yeah.
1: That, that more faster than they thought it would. Which is, which is encouraging. That's, that's nice en- to hear.
0: It's encouraging, yes, but we're also talking about a country that gets a lot of rain. Oh, uh, that's They have true. a rainy season, you have to remember, that goes forever. True. they have monsoon. A true monsoon. monsoon. So when, when it's a monsoon nation, everything washes out and it goes somewhere. You know, it doesn't just go into the vapors and then get sent to Alpha Centauri. So it's probably going
1: into what the South China Sea. Exactly. <laughs> okay.
0: Yeah, so it goes down through the Delta into the South China Sea. Now, we don't know. That stuff may break down into being something that's not so bad, you know, in all honesty. But um, jumping back to this thing, the D.C. lets a permit out every year for them to soak this fragile marsh with herbicide and your taxpayer dollars pay for it these guys use grants to do that so you know we everybody loves to point a a finger at the farmer who has to use herbicide and I, I really mean it, they have to because this is what Cornell Cooperative is telling them that they have to use. And they have to use the uh, Roundup um, resistant seeds and plants, you know, otherwise they, they're not competitive and they don't get the grants right. that they would normally get. Oh. So these farmers, people like to point a finger at farmers, they don't realize they can't they can't even continue unless they're getting that grant money, which... The grant money actually states, you know, in these things you must use, and they do it under the guise of avoiding erosion. So you, you want no-till agriculture where you're not kicking up the soil. So for that reason, you use Roundup. You soak the land in it. You'll see it as you leave here across from the school. That's a
1: really that's a really interesting thing because I've been hearing a lot about no-till.
2: Oh, it doesn't it is, sound great.
1: It does. It sounds amazing because it's it's less work and you don't, turn up the soil, which releases carbon dioxide. And Here we go. That's a big... Oh, it
0: doesn't release carbon dioxide, therefore it's good.
1: Yes, Unfortunately,
0: yes. Unfortunately, it, it, <clears throat> the obligate chemical in it is an herbicide, typically uh, glyphosate, Roundup. They soak thousands, well, really millions of acres of land with it. Yeah, that's not going to help. <laughs> but that's how it's done. Okay. And so it's, it's, again, true, the truest form of greenwash. To say, oh, you know, let's be climate uh, responsible. And unfortunately... I, I well, that's
1: where you get, which is interesting, you have um, in in overall environmental work, you do sometimes run into that climate change versus other environmental issues. and Not um, sometimes, and, it's most of the time and now. Yeah, there's a lot of, you know, what's the best solution? And then you get this conflict too. And that's something that... uh, We need to work through, um, not we, but as a planet, everybody needs to work through that.
0: I don't think it's going to happen, or I don't think it will happen in time.
1: Um, Oh, I I think I'm, I guess I'm more positive than you are, because I am hearing about a lot of good stuff uh, around people trying to do things and also recognizing. And a lot of it's actually coming from the farmers, because they know yeah. <laughs> they know better than anyone how the land works, what it needs, what to do. There's a lot of um cattle farmers recently that have been because cattle are are the <laughs> they're they're the bad guys in some circles yeah. because of the methane sure. release. But they found that if you pasture them differently, that doesn't happen right. the same way. Right. You can rotate and they can actually be very beneficial. And that also is interesting. I gave you that little, that book today, which is a kid's book. If open, I'm really if you, excited If about you open this. it you. up to the first few pages, you'll see a picture of a buffalo oh, yeah. bison. And if you read the caption, you'll see there's only uh, this, is, and you have to look at the pub date on it. There's only a couple h- hundred left. Sure. And the pub date is, oh. 2017, pub, it says no that was republished has
0: to be 1920
1: 1920 sure so 100 years ago we had just a few hundred buffalo and now we have thousands again to the point that we can actually study them and so now i'll tell you a little bit more about that yeah i think
0: (laughs) after the break we have to Sam's Meat Warehouse has been supplying restaurants and shops with the highest quality local and sustainably sourced prime and choice wholesale meat, steaks, poultry, seafood, and much more for over 20 years. Whether you're a small family butcher shop or a busy steakhouse, expect A1 service and the finest products available. Call Sam's at 845-651-MEAT or visit the store right off Route 17A in Florida New York for the highest quality products at unbeatable prices. You have a car problem? Maybe it's a mechanic problem. Maybe it's not. Sounds like a job for me, Ron and Annie, and the Car Doctor. That's right. Sunday mornings at 8. Get up early. Let's hang out. Let's talk about cars. Let's all get smarter. Let's solve some car problems. Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor, here, Sunday mornings at 8.
2: Hi, this is Michael Newhart, mayor of the Village of Warwick, inviting you to tune in every Thursday at 11 a.m. to Village Life and learn about the village happenings. Call and share your ideas, comments, and suggestions, and be part of the show with me and Mary Kalura.
0: W-T-B-Q-G-H-T
2: Weather Partly sunny this afternoon with scattered showers and thunderstorms, highs near 65. Tonight, a lingering shower or thunderstorm is possible early on, otherwise turning mainly clear overnight. Lows 40 to 45. On Tuesday, a mix of sun and clouds, warm and a bit breezy, highs in the upper 60s. On Wednesday, some breaks of sun give way to afternoon showers and thunderstorms, windy with highs in the lower 60s. From the WTBQ Weather Center, I'm WeatherWorks meteorologist Brian Donigan. <laughs>
0: we're back with tales and trails this is jay westerveld and my very frequent guest heather mcconnell is back today <laughs> author of an invisible woman in afghanistan and just before the uh word from our sponsors we were talking about the american bison heather's handed me a book called the burgess animal book for children uh, by thornton burgess and uh this looks really excellent and there's a a uh, painting from 1920, and the caption says, uh, "Thunderfoot the Bison." He is commonly called Buffalo. His race has been reduced from millions to a few hundreds, uh, hundreds plural. Um, and that was from 1920. And as we were just discussing, uh, since then, we you know now we have thousands. We of have bison. thousands.
1: And actually, what's really interesting is they've done studies now and found they have enough bison to do this study. And they think that when the bison there were probably 60 million bison at their height and they used to go across the land and churn it all up and they would actually create a second spring yes um, as they went because they churned it up and then the plants would come back and it was actually healthier for the plants in the long run so the whole i mean i'm sure you're aware of all the bureau of land management pulling the animals off of the land, saying that it's um, better for the land, but there's a lot of question now about the role of herd animals in that. So, And I know that some of the cattle ranchers, of course, they would love to get onto the federal land, and we've heard a lot about that, but there may actually be some benefit to having them carefully um, on the land because they do provide... Not just helping the soil regenerate. Of course, they're, you know, (laughs) fertilizing it as they go. Yes, they are. (laughs) Quite a bit.
0: Especially bison. Especially
1: bison, yes. And also transporting seeds, of course, and uh, doing a lot of good. And this was, I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but there was a wonderful study. Well, there's been some work in Africa around this with the elephants. And for a long time, there was a theory that elephants were degrading the land. And I've seen, I've actually seen elephants in the wild um, I, cool. I was able to go, I was very lucky to be able to go to Uganda and go to Murchison Falls National Park and saw elephants in the wild. And Outrageous. yes, they are like giant lawnmowers. Sure. <laughs> they are absolutely. But at the same time, they do fertilize the soil. They do a lot of good. And there was a guy named Alan Savory who um, was working to cult the herds for a long time in, I think it was Ghana, and they must have culled thousands and thousands of them. Ugh. And he realized over time that what they were trying to do was preserve the land. It was not working. Right. And now he's completely reversed that and has been doing um, wildlife, wild land restoration using elephants, using the native, the cattle that are in Africa too, sure. which are very different. not. So different, but different from the American cattle and oh, the sure, herding cultures there
0: Definitely. too. So that's encouraging too. And you know, yes. I love those stories where you hear that the person whose job was to, you know, hunt down and kill a species suddenly becomes engaged and usually at the spearhead of preserving it. We see this with shark conservation. Yes, snakes yes. a lot of times. In yeah. fact, even in New York State, uh, New York's top uh, rattlesnake expert—I'll uh, just say Randy, great guy. He um, he used to be a rattlesnake hunter. New York State used to offer bounties. You know, this wonderful state uh, that's all about protecting rattlesnake habitat, they used to pay people a bounty just really? to kill them. Oh yeah, that's why they're wiped out. There's no reason for the timber rattlesnake to be wiped okay. out. They don't live where we build homes. They live up in ridges. Um, there's plenty of food up there. Uh, okay. No, the state offered a bounty, and poor New Yorkers, especially during the depression. Needed a way to make money, so they went out and just killed rattlesnakes. I do
1: know that that is one of the stories, and I don't know if it's true or not. That that was why Mount Eve was called Mount Eve because there were so many snakes, copperheads on it, and so the farmers went up and wiped out. But because you know, Adam and Eve in the garden and and the snake, and that's a story anyway. That's one of the stories that I've heard, and that's why Mount Eve. Which is actually bigger than Mount Adam. Right. Uh, And I guess there were more snakes on Mount Eve. Maybe. Now I know that living next to Mount Eve, I do see lots of snakes um, around, so they seem to have come back a little bit. But um, I don't actually ever remember seeing a snake on Mount Eve, but of course, as a kid clambering around, it probably we probably made a lot of noise.
0: See, <laughs> so when we were kids, like myself and my friends, we were looking for snakes specifically. Oh, okay. so we were very quiet and oh. we were idiotically putting our hands into crevices. Uh, I've been hit by copperheads. Uh, a have few, you brought- Yeah, Yeah. Um, I've always been fortunate. I have friends, in fact, right here in Warwick, uh, Pete LaCalamita, with whom I went to uh, high school uh, his dad actually was a high school shop teacher here mr lacal he got hit by a copperhead by greenwood lake and got really sick i mean he was like on his nearly his deathbed um but sometimes you get hit by them according to how um you know how much they're carrying how well they envenomate you um i've been hit and it's it's always been pretty minor just like a really ugly hornet sting that itches for about, you know, a few years afterwards really badly.
1: Well, that's good to
0: know. Oh, <laughs> horrible. Well, I'm joking about it the so itching, but it's really bad yeah. for weeks afterward. Like yeah. a horrible, tickly itch.
1: Still still avoid them.
0: <laughs> yeah, good idea. Yeah, good yeah idea. just
1: good idea. And, and we'll know your snakes. I know that my dad... Um, as a doctor in uh, you know Dr. David McConnell, if anybody remembers, <laughs> um, he people. actually used to treat a lot of people um for different things. And one time, somebody who, I think, had been bitten by a copperhead, brought the snake in with them and they stuffed it and had it at the sure. hospital for reference, because that's this is, great. this is what it looks like. So if somebody comes in and they've been bit by a snake, you can say, did it look like this?
0: Yeah. <laughs> so You know, that's interesting because, well, first you should really have the comparison contrast because most people just a snake's a snake. If it, if it doesn't have the stripes of yeah. a garter snake, it must be venomous. In this area, in fact, in the entirety of the state of New York, it's very difficult really to find venomous snakes. You'll see lots of milk snakes, black rat snakes, water snakes that look venomous. The water snake is the uh, you know, the northern water snake. It is the angriest animal you'll ever meet in the woods. They're just <laughs> terrible. They'll chase you. Is it you. poisonous? No, they're totally they're harmless.
1: They're just, yeah, just angry. <laughs> they're just angry,
0: they're terrible. And they look ugly and mean. You know, I'm obviously being really subjective. Whereas an actual timber rattler or copperhead, they want to be left alone, they're docile. You know, these these snakes that manufacture venom, they're so used to being the neighborhood badass out in the mountains that they don't have to fight. So they're very docile, nice creatures really. And the the ones that (laughs) seem to have something to uh, prove they're usually just like in life. They're non-venomous typically. Okay. But I, I really, like 99 out of 100 times, when people say, "Oh, I saw a copperhead," "Oh my God, a water moccasin," <laughs> it's not. And water moccasins, cottonmouths—they don't live north of I think it's I South gonna Carolina. I was going to say, yeah, they
1: don't. They don't live around oh, here. Oh yeah, they're only—they don't. Only, they couldn't handle the cold.
0: No, they're yeah. Bible belt snakes. They're—they're they're not up here.
1: It's <laughs> <any means>. very, <laughs> very, very religious. Yeah, yeah. Snakes.
0: No, they—they they do not cross the Mason. Day really okay. um, so if you see a snake in water around here highly unlikely incredibly unlikely to be venomous angry sure you know okay. run but okay. uh, <laughs> yeah it's funny now you mentioned the bison and brought up the bison numbers and last Saturday on Stephen Keeter's show we were talking about bison primarily because at Sam's meat warehouse he's carrying bison meat which oh, is, is <laughs> and it's so worth trying and it's you know this is uh more than sustainably harvested, it's part of management of, of bison. You know, there are bison ranches all over the right. West. right. It's so good, it's it's really worth trying. And I don't mean to sound like I'm making a pitch for the sponsors, that's not the point. He brought up some, you know, Steven's a really, really, really incredibly educated guy. He was telling me things I didn't know about how the bison were brought back in North America and that a lot of the stock, most of it, um there were a few animals from, I believe, South Dakota, he said, I'd have to ask Stephen, but uh, a lot of the stock came from captive zoo stock at the Bronx Zoo.
1: And that would make sense. The Bronx Zoo is amazing, oh, actually. Yes, they were They is. really are. They're one of the older zoos, and they, they have quite a collection, too, and the zoos... I go back and forth on zoos because, you know, sometimes you don't want to see animals in captivity, but at the same time, you know, when you're, when you've got like in Africa, again, you've got the last of the, what is it? I think it's the black rhino or maybe white, both um yes. and we we lost them and now i think they said recently that there may be they may be able to bring them back because they have preserved some of the yes. dna yes. um which that would be amazing but they are unfortunately a a, a last resort sometimes but they really um, are. they are but yeah. an
0: effective last resort yeah. i mentioned on Steven Schoen, I'll say it quickly now, Um, the wild horse, uh, Przolvalski's horse, uh, was brought back only from zoo stock. They were extirpated from the wild. There were some left in zoos. And all the wild populations uh, across across East and Central Asia, actually derived from zoo stock from Europe and a little bit from here in North America. Zoos are incredible in another way, Heather, like the Bronx Zoo, <clears throat> we see the tip of the iceberg as guests
2: Absolutely, to Absolutely, yeah. What yeah.
0: goes on behind the scenes and just the amount of infrastructure that's used that's not for exhibits, but actually where there's research being done and there's um, captive breeding being done with at-risk animals is amazing. A few years ago, I had a chance to get a really nice, uh, long couple days uh, backroom visits at the Bronx Zoo with Scott Silver, who was uh, the head of herpetology there. And I, I'm not sure if he's still with them. it's it's the Metropolitan Conservation Alliance who runs the zoo. It used to be the um, New York Zoological Society. Scott was with MCA, and I learned so much and I saw i I, I just would have never known just going to the zoo that there's so much but, behind the scenes. Work. And it's
1: also the same with the um, Arboretums too the the arboretums um and the gardens like the brooklyn botanic garden is a great example Uh, they have phenomenal collections and uh in in england too actually Kew gardens and some of the um older gardens in the uk had phenomenal collections because of course they went all over the world (laughs) collecting
0: (laughs) not far away you know like Two hours away in the Brandywine Valley of Pennsylvania, there's Longwood Gardens. Yes, I've been there, it's beautiful. Well, they have the funding because of the family, that big money family of um, that town in Delaware right over the border. where all the uh, credit card companies are. Oh. <laughs> um, but it, uh, what is I'm just trying to remember it's not Del Monte, but it's something or it maybe be Del Monte, actually. Okay. I kind of mix it up that because be Del the... Monte is important with Pebble Beach, California, and Carmel by the sea. okay, But I think Del Monte actually is the money behind Longwood Gardens. Somebody can Google that. I'll certainly Google it when I go home. But yeah, that's you make a that's, great point. Arboretums.
1: Yeah, the arboretums, and you know, thank goodness that they are um, there. Yeah. to to preserve and and of course we had the seed vault up in what is it svalbard
0: yeah that's, <laughs> that's incredible important.
1: Yeah, yeah that went up in the arctic
0: uh, and now funny thing you mentioned seed vault arctic <laughs> you and i talked about on the last show and Stephen and i on his show briefly discussed uh the the attempts to bring back the um, woolly mammoth in Siberia. Yes. (laughs) And we we didn't get to go all the way into one interesting thing where they're breaking up the permafrost and all, when they do that, they bring back, well, they can bring back pathogens that haven't known modern humans that can cause big problems. There's There's a there
1: is is a concern about that. (laughs) And not that anybody
0: worries about novel pathogens in this day and age, but (laughs) also seeds plants yes. uh, even spores of fungi and lichens and stuff uh, are released and um we may see interesting plants that haven't been seen in a long time yeah. and i think after a quick word from the bison people we'll talk more <laughs>
2: Sam's Meat Warehouse is a butcher with old-time family values. Remember back in the day when people knew their butcher by name and visiting them was a social experience? They would talk to customers about how to cook a piece of meat to perfection. Sam's combines old-world methods with modern techniques. Call your favorite butcher, Sam's, at 845-651-MEAT or visit the store right off 17A in Florida, New York, for the highest quality products at unbeatable prices.
0: Hi, this is Brian Baird, host of Million Dollar Feeling, heard every Saturday at 9 a.m. Join me and my guests and learn how you can let go of your past and create a future filled with a million dollar feeling, Saturdays at 9 a.m. Hi, I'm Dave Edwards, and I invite you to join me every Sunday night when we'll showcase a perfect album. I'll start with side one, track one, and we'll play every song in order from the record. A few bonus songs, as well as some trivia, too, right here on radio worth listening to. and we're back with tales and trails this is jay Westerveld. this is our weekly show about world culture and nature um when we if we ever get into travel it's adventure travel Uh, but (laughs) thankfully we haven't talked a lot about recreational travel my guest today is heather mcconnell who's becoming sort of a semi-permanent guest on the show which is wonderful <laughs> we need a guest host and um heather's the author of an Amer- an invisible woman in afghanistan. afghanistan i always start to say american and i apologize for that and um speaking of afghanistan it, it's certainly in the news of, it of like- is
1: and i i have to admit i i look at this uh, with the pullout and um, i i do think it's good um, i i think it's a good thing i wish that it could have been done a little bit more strategically and more slowly and sure. carefully. There's always that. But uh, I think it's time. It's definitely time. At the same time, I think there's a lot of fear about what's going to happen. And I was I was thinking back. I started my book. I started writing An Invisible Woman in Afghanistan. I came up with the idea, which, of course, morphed a zillion times over the many years I was working on it. But I started writing it in June of 2001, three months before nine oh, eleven. Yeah, and yeah. I, I cite, didn't realize that. Either. I cited it in Afghanistan. And the reason I cited it in Afghanistan, I was, I, it was it was pure luck or whatever you want to call it, but I, I wanted to pick a country, and I was basically looking for... Uh, my My choice of Afghanistan was dependent on one thing. Where in the world was the maternal mortality rate the highest.
2: I didn't realize that.
1: And that's... Afghanistan still has a horribly high maternal mortality rate, sure. but it was between Afghanistan and I think Ivory Coast okay. um, at that point. And they were sort of going back and forth. And um, both countries still have ridiculously high maternal mortality rate. And that was why I picked Afghanistan, because I was focusing on women's rights issues. And that was my metric, um, and you don't get any more <laughs> fundamental than you know a mothers um, living, and yeah. that's that's important. And uh, I I'd heard several times over the years that part of the reason Afghanistan had such an issue was because Afghanistan is so unequal between men and women that there's an equality issue there. So. Um, I am very ambivalent about uh, that and also about the, the America leaving um, because of what will happen with women. At the same time, so much has changed in our world. And when I first study, I mean, you'll just... It, it's, it's like going back 100 years now, it feels like. When I first started looking at Af- Afghanistan in 2001, June of I couldn't find any information. There was nothing... Yeah. There was almost nothing. And we didn't have smartphones. We didn't have satellites. We didn't have all this stuff. I actually found the country's website, which at that point was the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan. And it was this terrible website. It was awful. You can actually go onto the Wayback Machine, if you know about that, and still find it. But it was a terrible website, and there was almost no information on it. I actually, at that point, lived in Los Angeles, and I went to Santa Monica, and there's a wonderful bookstore. I don't, I don't think it's there anymore. There's a bunch of wonderful bookstores, but there was one with all these picture books. And what it was used by was for Hollywood people to go and get um, background um, images right. for sets and things like that. So I went in there, and I bought everything I could find on Afghanistan. And I'm sure that three months before 9 11, I'm sure that you know may have turned up at some point. But no, I, I still have nobody a,
0: notices that.
1: I still have these incredible picture books. Yeah, <laughs> and um, yeah, and anyway, so I started working, and there was no information on it. And one of the most profound things it was a young woman reporter, and she was half Afghan. She used to sneak into the country. She was half British and half Afghan. And she wrote a wonderful book called The Storyteller's Daughter, about her sneaking into Afghanistan to cover.
0: And she- Yeah, I'm familiar with it. I've heard a of it, great, I haven't read it. I'm...
1: It's a great book. But she was part of the um, group, or there was a group, the underground women, which I yeah. talk about in the book, who right. secretly filmed an execution of right. a woman who had been, who was a teacher. And my character's partly named after that woman who died, who was executed for teaching. And, um, that was the thing. That was the only film we had. And it was a clip, and it came out in August, just um before nine eleven. And that was it. We didn't have film. We didn't have anything. We didn't know what was going on in the country now. <laughs> we have smartphones. Yeah. Everything is getting filmed, and everyone Everything. there
0: has a smartphone. And that's everyone what people does. Don't realize yes, is, you know, and and most of these countries,
1: so the world is aware yeah. now. You cannot, and we also have satellites too. We know. We were talking about that early with the, tracking these uh, illegal Chinese shipping fishing boats <laughs> all over the place. Oh, yeah, that's... but yeah, but just to get back to Afghanistan, I don't think it can go back. Plus we have done su- we have actually done a pretty decent job of getting girls back into schools and that has made a huge difference too nice. so i am I'm, I'm hopeful i'm i'm worried but i am there is a little bit of hope on that i have too that things will be it'll take a while um it's it's going to take a while but i, I think that somehow it, it's it's going to work out in the end and I, I had that in my book, actually, at the end, too, um, when I had painted a vision of Afghanistan sort of more in the 21st century, yeah, too. So, so I am hopeful, You know, given the technology, given the attention. I think Americans genuinely, too, at this point, there's a lot of people who don't, but I think there's a lot of people who care. And we have a lot of Afghans in this country who care. Who want to make the country work? Who want to get it back on its feet? And who want to get the economy back on its feet too? That helps so the whole
0: world. That if does. The Afghan economy picks up. You know,
1: really does. We have a. We all have an interest in that. We so, have.
0: We yeah. have. It's. It will be interesting to see what happens. You know, uh, quoting Gusta Avakadov. Gust- uh,
1: yes. <laughs> with the
0: first pullout. Uh, yes,
1: that uh, was after the. Um, what's the name of the book? Um, and I'm blanking on Charlie Wilson's war. Charlie Wilson's war. Wilson's war uh, yes. yes. He
0: said, you know, what What he kept saying was the story of the Zen master. We'll see. Zen yeah. master says, we'll see. We'll and so see. with this, I, I mean, I can't, as you know, I can't really comment on this stuff yeah. generally, uh, but we'll see. I can sure as hell say that. You know? Yes. We'll see.
1: We'll see. We will, we will see. Yeah. I think one of the interesting things, too, is with the American pullout, there is a big concern, and I think this is a very big concern of uh, Chinese influence. Uh, there and that's uh, I already started. That's already started. I know that there's Minnesota. been a lot of infrastructure attempts on the Chinese part to fund various infrastructure projects, um, which has not happened. Which has been interesting because I think that a lot of that has been pushed back by Americans concerned about the Afghans, understandably, going into debt, um, yeah. which is happening all over the world. Uh, with different countries being, um, getting into debt with China. So again, we get back to China, which always seems to be. (laughs) I mean,
0: you know, many Americans do not realize that uh, China has a border with Afghanistan. Yes, it's a very teeny
1: little border. Yes. But it's there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. you know, we sort of see China's- That's where the tracker. Silk Road goes through. It goes through that very
1: long kind of finger of Afghanistan extending to the Northeast and then hits China.
0: And I, I think, Heather, um, don't quote me and maybe Google this or listeners Google this. Heather, I believe the reason that that little extension of that little glottis, if you will, off Afghanistan, why it's shaped that way and goes that way is because of the Silk Road. I think that's it actually goes that way, the chicken egg of it. I think yeah I think valley yeah, I think
1: that valley goes directly it's it is a valley mostly Pashtun, it, either uh, either side are these very tall mountains on right. one side you've got Pakistan on the other side, I think it's uh Tajikistan um or yeah, I think it's it's uh, Tajikistan it
0: it's, may be. you've got me there, yeah, I know it's yeah. a mostly Pashtun influence in there, yeah, and uh, you know we yeah. we already know China's track record with uh minority Muslim Asian populations. so yeah. the Hazari of uh Afghanistan, they they aren't excited about the you know about possible Chinese influence, China, yeah, probable Chinese probable. influence, Probable, yeah, absolutely, and yeah. Um, you know as far well. Again, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Zen Master we'll says, see. "We'll see." Yes,
1: and Afghanistan has had invaders over you know thousands of years, and they yeah. always seem to sort of come back somehow. Yeah. So I don't know. We'll see. I'm, Tremendous I'm resources hopeful. there,
0: as you pointed they do. out.
1: They do. They have fantastic resources. They actually have a wonderful solar potential, and they have great hydro. They've got great uh, renewables, and yeah. they also have some other things. They actually have a ancient copper mine which the chinese are interested in exploiting it also happens to be the site of a ancient uh buddhist monastery uh so that'll be interesting to see how and they promise to preserve it but it's pretty hard to do that with a copper
0: mine it really is and people have to understand that there's factionalism within buddhism you yes. Know, and the Chinese yes, Buddhists yes. aren't really big fans of the Tibetan Buddhists, et cetera. Yeah. And when you talk about copper mines, I mean the the interest throughout Central and East Asia in copper is r- really striking, and it, it changes entire nations. It's it's through the roof.
1: Well, and it's understandable. China is driving it's, that. Yeah.
0: Very understandable. And yeah. other like rare earth metals. Yeah. Uh, that now Afghanistan, along with uh, Uzbekistan, has uh, reserves of some rare, rare earth metals that uh, are very interesting to I think nations of actually
1: like Yeah, rare earths are not quite as rare as you'd think. Yeah, they, and, and, the term and, makes and, it sound that one way. Of the, whereas... One of the things that also just amuses me is is like, we don't need to do any mining. All we need to do is recycle all of the cell phones that we throw away every year. Yeah,
0: but then these <laughs> these companies don't make money.
1: <laughs> well, that's true. But uh, I, I'm hopeful that we will figure out some way of recycling this massive oh, amounts of... I'm so Absolutely. Electronics that is safe also that doesn't involve shipping it to the third world too. So no, there and that, that you know that be would good. be a
0: nice thing to develop because it is absurd to constantly put these things into landfills. But the weird upside of that is those landfills, I'm sure in the future they'll be they're uncapped. gonna be gold mines.
1: They're yeah, gonna be right. the, it, that is gonna be where the money's to be made. Definitely. I think there's some people already that think that there that are doing stuff. I know that there's somebody who is trying to pull plastic out. And uh, and recycle it completely, massive amounts, because that's a good chunk of what is in landfills.
0: Well, it looks like we're getting to the end here, and before we get to the very bitter end, Heather, I wanted to just thank you once again.
1: Thank you for for having me. Oh, are you kidding? This is great. So much fun. Yeah, and
0: you know, um, even though we, you know, can't talk about everything, we try to cover as much as we can. And uh, I look forward to you uh, guest hosting the show again in the very near future. (laughs) Okay. Thank you so much, Heather.